Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. We're in a series called Reach, <clears throat> and I wanted you to hear this testimony of a man who's very, very well-known, an artist. And we're going to come back to his message here in just a second. But I want to talk to you about today becoming a soul-winning reconciler. Heard from Tommy last week, Tommy Saunders, who was, of course, a, uh, uh, he's a soul winner. And what was unique about Tommy is that that wasn't his heart. That wasn't his vision at all. And he would call himself, and I knew Tommy. Tommy was very much an introvert, very much a way in the back. But when God got inside him and began to speak to him, he began to open his eyes and do what we've been doing, and that is seeing what's at stake here. That God began to expand his heart, began to fill his heart, and to see the world as he sees it. And so that's what we're doing this month. We're, we're asking God to help us see the world as he sees it. Learning how to be reachers, becoming soul winners, becoming reconcilers. I want to start with looking at Matthew 28, a couple of verses. We've been doing, reading a lot of Bible, which is good. But you know, Jesus' and anyone's last words are pretty important. You want to close in and, and, and listen to someone who might be passing away or leaving for a long time. What they have to say is pretty important, and you might want to catch it. And here are some of the last things that Jesus said, starting with Matthew 28. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me. So there's no more question as to how, where things lie even to this very day. He says, everything's been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus says this incredibly powerful thing to say, look, everything belongs to me, it's so all mine. There will be no more conversation regarding who's the last man standing, and that's Jesus. He says, now, you go. Take this message. You watched it. We read about it. We know the details of what happened to Jesus. He says, now go make disciples. He says, not only share the gospel, but make disciples. Help people embrace the truths that I've taught you. And then baptize them. We'll do that tonight. And then teaching remember all that he taught and he says i'm going to be with you every step of the way until i come again matthew 28 that says that has been considered the the great commission for the church that those are my marching orders when i get up in the morning and i realize what i'm called to be and to do that is exactly what jesus has told me to do and every single christian if i was not in full-time ministry this would still be my commission okay that is your commission as well you call yourself a Christian. If you, you, if you walk in the measure, enjoying the grace and mercy of God, this is your commission. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, 4 through 9. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So they're very excited about, okay, he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming. 
We've see, he's been resurrected. We see him in front of us. All of this is taking place. There's an incredible amount of joy and excitement and what they would call the eschatological expectation, all of this being wrapped up. But he says to this to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. So he's saying he kind of pushes aside the end times. He says, look, it's, it, don't worry about that. I want you to remember what I told you, and that is to go and spread the gospel. He said the Holy Spirit is coming. Now he's getting ready to bring both of those truths together here in just a second. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. So they're empowered to do what? to be witnesses, not to be empowered just to be a Christian, not to be empowered just to be able to say, wow, watch me pull you know, a rabbit out of my hat. Watch me do all these magical, wonderful things. He says, I'm going to empower you. The Holy Spirit is coming. He's going to fill you with wonderful gifts. You're going to be able to speak in the name of Jesus. You're going to lay hands on the sick. You'll see him recover. You'll be able to go into the darkest places of the world, and the enemy will flee from you, all for a reason, and that is to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So you see two of these two words are coming together. He says, go make disciples. And he says, now I'm not going to leave you stranded. I'm going to give you power to be able to do that. He's going to come upon us, give us the words to speak, to give us the doors to open. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So just before he goes, he says, now look, I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit's coming back. And you're going to feel my presence. Remember in, in, in Matthew 28, he says, and lo, I'll be with you always to the ends of the earth. That's how he's going to be with us, is the Holy Spirit. Since they're one, God is with us. So he's going to make us, he's going to empower us to be witnesses. Now, these are the words of Jesus. They're undeniable, indisputable. And what we need to do is embrace it. If we want more power, then we need to, we need to shift our function. We need to shift our focus to become witnesses. And you'll notice in Lecrae's testimony that that's how it all came together for him. That his testimony was not, he felt the, he felt the emptiness, he felt the brokenness that this culture unfortunately handed to him. But the moment he stepped into significance, it wasn't just about the music, about rapping and doing the thing that he really wanted to do as a young person, because that in and of itself could have been a very you know, a sense of real empowerment and, and as the arts world tends to be. But he saw more. He saw that God had called him to be, what? A witness to use his gift to penetrate the darkness. So Paul brings it all home for us. In 2 Corinthians 5, 11 and following, he says this. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Check that out. So that's what we've been doing this month. We've been talking about the fear of the Lord. We've been talking about, remember I talked about hell. We talked about what's at stake here. We talked about that heaven and hell are very real, and hell is waiting like a huge garbage dump to gather up the refuse of humanity for those who have refused to accept Christ. And yet we... So we got to see what's at stake here. We got to open our hearts to see that humans, 
Lecrae and many, many other young people and, and people that every single day that are taking their last breath. He said, go and be witnesses. Go and tell them of the good news that they don't have to go there. So Paul's saying, we know it is to fear the Lord because we, we understand what's at stake here. He goes on, if we are out of our mind, I talked about that too, didn't I? As some would say, it is for God. He said, if you look like, if I look like I've lost my mind being a huge, you know, a, an up-and-coming uh, Pharisee who had been trained by the best of the best, and he said, you guys are saying I'm out of my mind as I was as a 17-year-old out of my mind. My dad wanted to take me to a psychiatrist. He said, son, you're out of your mind. You are wanting to give up all of this. You want to give up this career. You want to give up all that to become a pastor? I'm like, Dad, I got to do what God has called me to do. In tears. Are you out of your mind? So Paul, even Paul is talking about that. He says, some of you say, he says, but it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love, what? Compels us tells us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Are you convinced? If you're not convinced yet, you need to stay on it until you are. If you're not convinced in eternity, then you're not secure in your own, okay? That's pretty much a key right there. One died, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who, who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He's saying all of this is leading somewhere. And I love this because, actually, to be honest with you, I didn't even know it when I started the series up. And so when I went back to 2 Corinthians 5, which I would planned to preach, I was like, oh, wow, it's all here. And I love that. I love what God does. We should no longer live for ourselves. We should open our heart to what is happening around us so we can get caught up in the fog, the haze of politics and all of our, 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 you know, our life things, our stuff, our families, our goals, our vision, our narcissism, and we begin to lose focus with what our Great Commission is. And when we lose focus, people are dying all around us. And as I told you before, there'll be one question on the test at the end. Not how good of a singer you were, not how great of an artist you were, not how great of a mother, a father, a philanthropist, an environmentalist, and all the isms. None of that's going to be on the test, my friend. It will be simply, what did you do with what I gave you? Were you the witness that I called you to be? So from now on, this is Paul, for so, for, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. I love that. You see what Paul is saying? I, my, my mind is completely converted that now I don't even go out and judge people anymore. I don't sit there and make fun of them. I don't mock them, although we're always tempted to. But what he says is no longer do I look at people through the eyes of worldly. I don't look at them through race. I don't look at them through any other vision except redeemable children of God. We no longer regard people from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us 
to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you see what Paul is doing here almost every single time? Every time he mentions something good about us, he reminds us we're supposed to give it away. He says, you've been reconciled, but let me tell you, you're a reconciler. And we're, the old is gone, the new has come. Now all of that is to help us become a reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's the gospel. That's the message. And however creatively we want to sing it, tell it, rap it, give it, quote it, you know, all the different methods that we choose to share it. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He says, I've given it to you. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He sent his Holy Spirit who fills us to empower us to do what? To be witnesses. To be witnesses. Did you have something else in mind you were going to do with the Holy Spirit? I'm just wondering. Because as I look at some of your faces, I'm not sure you're 100% convinced. That's okay. Just reading Bible here. But I'm just trying to ask you, did you have something else in mind you were going to do with the Holy Spirit? And if you did, good luck with that. Except that he's only, and I think that's what happens to the church, is they call the Holy Spirit to come, and he goes, and he shows up. It's like we've invited the plumber, and we want him to do electrical work. And he's always scratching his head, you know. Uh, well, ma'am, I, uh, I, <laughs> I came to work on the pipes. The Holy Spirit says, I've come to, be, to, to help you become a witness. That's why I'm here to empower you. So I wonder, sometimes we wonder, sometimes we walk around and say, why doesn't the church have more power? Because you're not doing what he called you to do. Are you getting it? Do I have to get any louder? I don't think so. All right. A little, little early. I know. He's committed to it. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Oh, wow, I'm taking up a notch. I'm not just a, a slug muffin going out there to beg people to come to Christ. I don't have to. Man, we're an ambassadors. An ambassador for the king is, it speaks on his behalf, has all the power to speak on behalf of the government, of the leader. That's what ambassadors do. We are therefore ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through who? Us. God is making his appeal. I don't say and say, okay, just a second. I got a video of Jesus here. He's got something to tell you. Just, just hang on. No, it comes through us. We are the video. We're the recording. We are the testimony. We're going to get to that in a second. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul comes down to the end here to say, look, there's probably a reason why you're not an ambassador, why you're not able to walk in the kind of reconciliation ministry that you've been called to. It's right there at the end. He says, I implore you, you be reconciled to God first. You can't give what you don't know. Last week I talked about it, about how, and I'm sorry, it may seem kind of base, but, you know, we're supposed to be clever in this business using whatever means necessary to lead someone to Christ. Not deceive them, but we do need to definitely be wise as serpents, gentle as doves. And so to be reconcilers means I have to believe in my product. 
I have to believe and walk in what I love. I can't be passionate about something that I myself do not know about. So Paul is saying that. Be reconciled to God. So all that he just talked about could happen. So how do we do this? Is this just the evangelist's job? Absolutely not. Most churches have everything they need in the way of people to change the world. And there's no doubt in my mind that valid. We have everything we need here. Now, do we need more? Absolutely. That's the beauty of the living stones, is that the house can always be bigger, wider, make room, can go another floor as we add souls to us. And it is sad. It does break my heart when I hear pastors talk, well, we're, we're as big as we need to be. So you're going to tell these people to go to hell. Is that what you're saying? Not on my watch. Not here. We have what we need. Imagine how much more we can do, because Tommy gave us those percentages last week, and this is a little scary, a little overwhelming. I mean, matter of fact, I couldn't hardly believe it, that 98% of Christians do not share their faith. Folks, 98% of us? That means only two in this room. Only two of us. So, well, and you know that I do it every week, so kind of cracks it down. Just one of you. <laughs> I'm playing. I'm playing. There's probably a whole lot more here because you guys have been giving out these invitations. So I guess I ruined my own dramatic element there. But anyway, so, no, we're in it. But as a church as a whole, only 2% of us are sharing. I mean, you just have to ask yourself. No, I'm not going to ask anybody to, to do that. But over the last year, have you shared your faith with anyone? You just think of it. Okay? And let's go a little deeper. Over the last year, have you led someone to Christ? And that's really more of what we're after here. Over the phone, on an email, in person, coworker, family member, your child. They count. Church grows by, I think, 2% biological growth. Thank God for that. We want to get it to 100%. Imagine when the church, every single Christian shares their faith at least with one person. And let's just say 50% of all those testimonies and those witnesses result in someone coming to Christ. Wow. And if we all committed, each one of us, to lead someone to Christ over just one whole year, one year, the church would double in a year. That's pretty cool. That's strategic. That's thinking the way we ought to think. When Jesus talked about the talents, remember the one who buried his? Didn't get a good welcome. So when we get home and he asks us that question, what did you do with what I gave you? And you say, well, I'm here. I made it. Aren't you happy about that? No, I'm not happy about that. What did you do? I, I already had you. The grace of God already secured you. I, already, I, I had found you. You were found and sought by the Holy Spirit. You received me. That was a done deal. What have you done with what I put inside you? Well, I don't really have much to show for that, Lord. He's not going to be happy. We need to make him happy. So, folks, how do we become soul winners? I'm going to share with you quick steps. First of all, you've got to strengthen your own relationship with Christ. How do we become the reconciler? How can we do that? How can we change that? So that over this next year, we do try to get us one person, which, again, is not an overwhelming thing. Uh, 
to do. And in other words, not hard. Not hard at all. Especially when you have the Holy Spirit who's there to be a witness for you. We'll arrange the meeting. Remember last week when I shared my testimony, all I said was, God, just, I'm here, I'm just available. And God led me right to a man who, whose son who died with my name, with my background. That's exactly the kind of stuff God wants to do if we just say, here I am, Lord, send me. So number one, strengthen your own relationship with Christ. Hebrews 12.1 says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. So what he's saying is a couple of things here. First of all, we've got to get rid of the things that we know we're slowing us down. We all know what they are. It'll take a millisecond for each one of us to stop and say, I know what it is. I know the thing that's keeping me from really growing in the Lord. Maybe more than one thing. But generally, there's one thing. And that one thing, God, God and, and what Paul says, let's just cut it off. Just move on. Just say, you know what? This thing in my life is a ball and chain. It's holding me back. I can't run. But he's saying, go ahead and cut that loose, whether it be pride or greed or the focus of your life, the misplaced priorities. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's alcohol or drugs or prescription drugs. Maybe it's something, a hidden sin that you're past. God says those, that thing or things is holding you back. So cast it off. Get rid of it. And begin to focus on building your own relationship with Christ to, to fall in love with him. So in other words, strengthen your own love for God. When the soul is hurting and it's bound up, it doesn't have energy to reach beyond a very, very small space. When we are, I remember I've said this before, that when we're hurting, it takes a lot, just like a, a cancer or a disease, your body has to turn in on itself in order to keep us alive. And so we're not, we don't have energy to do much beyond just keeping ourselves moving. That's what disease does. But a disease of the soul does the exact same thing. And so, but that's the beauty. God may not give us a completely whole body in this life. I pray that he does, and, and he certainly did do that. And I believe he will do that if you ask him. But even more so, he wants to heal the soul. So nothing of the soul should ever, ever hold us back. Ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit since he promised it. Said, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. Don't leave your house. I mean, just take that literally. Don't leave your house until you've asked the Holy Spirit to come and empower you to make you a witness. And we've already talked many, many times about the, the other benefits of that. You say, well, what's in it for me? Everything. I mean, you've got the Holy Spirit inside you. And when he's inside you, he's not only going to just be a witness. He's going to encourage you. He's going to be there to empower you for everything that you need. Number two. So number one is you've got to focus on your own walk with God. Get it right. Don't become a, uh, a legalist. I'll say that before I go. Don't think that just checking off all the boxes like some OCD individual. Don't do that. This whole thing is about life. It's not a list. So don't do that. I know you're tempted to do that. Throw the list away and focus on the relationship and let him do it. And let him do it. 
Don't take comfort in, 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 in just your successes. They bring us comfort in a certain way, but Jesus did it already for you. You don't need the list. He already took care of the list in a major way. Number two, what if I don't know any non-Christians? That's a great question. Remember I told you last week that most of us are most, we will be the most fruitful within the first two years of our conversion. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Number one, want a real spiritual high. Number two, because we're still involved in a lot of unbelievers' lives. So we talked about that. So what, how do we change that? After you've been walking with the Lord for a lot of years, you spend most of your time with Christians at the, you know, the pot blessings and the ATKs and all that kind of stuff, we don't want to hang around with a lot of dirty, nasty uh, non-believers because we just feel like I must come out from among them. Well, and, there, and there's some truth to that, especially if you're acting like them and they're influencing you that way. But, so here's some ideas. How do you get to know some non Number one, jump on someone else's boat, okay? So in other words, find those people who are natural read, reachers. Find those people that have relationships. What I used to do a lot, and that is I would find a person who was a new convert because I knew they came, what was behind them were, was a whole new world of unbelievers that I would ask them to introduce me to. So one particular person, I've been trying hard. There's two guys that have been trying to get here, but they're so busy and doing other things that, that you know, they just won't listen to Pastor David, but I, I will get to them. But a couple of young guys are led to Christ many, many years ago, and, and that's exactly what I did. And I just said, look, bring your friends around. I want to meet them. Because I would never hang around with ex-drug dealers. I would never hang around with pimps and, and, and all those kind of people. I never would. But I'd say, look, when you go to them, bring me with you. I want to meet some of these folks. And so immediately my world would be, I would, I would get out of my own little Christian world and start to invade and get into that other thing. Another thing you can do is, look, if you're working, wherever you work, you're, there's more than likely a lot of unbelievers around you. But don't think that you're an undercover Christian just to get in that world and then breathe a sigh of relief when you get out. No, you go in being the salt and light that God has called you to be and let the doors open. So let me ask you a question. When you go to work, do you pray that God will give you an opportunity to share the gospel? Well, back in 1975, I did, Pastor David. No, no, I'm talking recently. I'm talking this week. So jump on somebody else's boat. Okay, find people who are connected with unbelievers and, and, and see what you can do there. And the second thing you can do is use your, your civic connections in the community, sports, school, clubs, recreation, etc. Once again, you know, uh, that was something that we did very actively in this community when we had Tate and the other little guys involved in sports. I mean, we just didn't come. Now, it was very tempted for me as a father to just get out there and say, hey, look, I don't care about your kid. I'm here for my kid. So, matter of fact, if my kid runs over your kid and hurts him, too bad. Matter of fact, I want my kid to make the team and your kid not to. And see, all that kind of stuff comes out, and it's very, very tempting, very, it gobbles you up, and I've been there. I remember Randy, when I first came to Randy, said, well, there's not always been a lot of good testimonies with pastors in this city with soccer teams and such. So that was good. Thank you, Randy. Here he kept me straight on that. And uh, <clears throat> I could tell you a few stories, but I won't because they're all shameful. But anyway, 
But I tell you what, I began to realize that, uh, you know, and of course, you know, my kids are watching, right? My kids are watching what I do. And so I would actively teach our children to say, look, you are salt and light here. The, the game is secondary to what God is wanting you to communicate through your life to these other kids while you're in the dugout for hours at a time. So while they're over there telling dirty jokes, you be the salt and light. And when the option comes up, and it was funny because a lot of parents would be watching and come up to me afterward and just say, man, what are you doing? What are you doing with your kids? I said, that's nothing really that we're doing. That's just who we are. We're Christians. And that can be a real powerful uh, thing. Have not done it perfectly, but certainly any kind of things that you're doing in the community, open your eyes, shift your thinking. And, and it does take a shift, okay? That's the second thing you can do. And then you can fish in a barrel. I call this fishing in a barrel. I love this. Easy. You're giving out the invitations. People come to church twice a year, big time. You want to meet some unbelievers? At least two times a year, they, a lot of them come here. Man, fishing in the barrel. So just come up to me and say, Pastor David, when those people come down to get saved, can I get involved in that? Twist my arm. Come on down. You see somebody. Here's another thing you really should be doing. is people come in, and they see you, and they know you. You should walk right over to them and say, man, it's good to see you here today. I noticed you raised your hand to give your life to Christ, or you came down in front, or you're holding that little package. Can I pray with you? Man, fishing in a barrel, baby. Get involved in that, uh, and don't just leave it you know, to everyone else. That's your chance. But again, that requires you being ready, being prepared, asking for it. Thirdly, you've got to clarify your testimony, okay? You've got to clarify what it is that God has done for you. And so the first thing, you know, a lot of people ask, what if mine is boring, man? All I remember is growing up in the church. I grew up in a Christian home. I mean, hi, my name is David. I'm a Christian. And that's about it, you know? That it's, it's much bigger than that, if you will ask God to show you. Because we all struggle with something, don't we? You struggle with fear? Great way to start. Hi. And I'd love, and, and to say, you know, in, in, in my life, I struggle from fear with, with fear. The big ones are fear, fear of death, fear of many things. People identify with fear. Loss. If, if you lost a baby or you lost a child or there was something like that, sometimes we just glaze over the top of that. We don't see it as an opportunity to connect with other people, that God wants to use our brokenness, our loss, as a, as a stepping stone to get into other people's lives, to, to show how we've received the forgiveness, the love, the healing salve, and how, it was, and how Jesus has ministered to you and brought you hope in your life. You need to clarify that. So no one has a boring testimony. There is no way you have a boring testimony. You just need to take time to think about it, okay? What if yours is too extreme? Hi, I used to be a mass murderer. But I got saved. Mostly. <laughs> well, yeah, that can be a little scary. And so you have to be careful. You got to let that cat out of the bag a little bit at a time. And I learned that about myself in some of the things I used to do, that I had to be really careful that a, a lot of things about my life in my past, 
I am now comfortable in sharing because, wow, we got 30 years in between it. And, uh, but five or 10 years after, I might have been still arrested for it, but we won't go there. Anyway, what if yours is too extreme? Generally, it's not. Just be careful how you share it. Here's one of the things about an extreme testimony that I found, is that people try to impress people with their wickedness. That was a good point there, honey, right on schedule. <laughs> That's okay. I love you, man. You can do anything, and we're good. Um, so anyway, i got to get back to my point. There's always someone who can relate to your particular story, and that's the key. And then the last two quick things here. Ask God to show you who and to help you arrange the meeting. You need to start doing that. I like to call it a target list. You need to make a target list. You need to just sit down and say, who do I want to see saved in my life? Start with your family. Start with friends that you know. Start with people that might be next-door neighbors. I mean, once you start to open your mind and your heart to that, you're going to see an amazing... You're going to see a lot of people, a lot more people than you thought were there. And then just start praying for them. And then say, God, would you give me a divine appointment at some point? And you'll... Man, do not be... I mean, you'll remember Daryl? I prayed about Daryl. I said, Daryl, uh, Lord, I don't know when I'm going to get a chance to share the gospel with Daryl because he always cusses at me every time I get started. God did all that. And then finally, when the time comes, let the Lord lead you and watch miracles happen. So we started with the Holy Spirit, didn't we? Why is the Holy Spirit here? To help arrange those appointments. To give you divine connections your story to be relatable to another human being. So what we do is say, Lord, I am a walking reconciler. Would you lead me to the people who, are going, who can, can receive from the plate that is my life? So you say, well, I grew up in the church. I mean, I, mean, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, yeah, mine's kind of boring. I grew up in the church, and, and you know, I really wandered away from God for a long time, got into drugs and alcohol, went off to college, did the thing, and you know, now I'm back. Well, that's, that's a pretty powerful testimony because many don't come back. And that God wants us to look at our past, not to bury it or cover it over with religiosity, but to actually through repentance, through you know, grief in a major way to communicate, to say, I was, I was lost. Did you hear Lecrae? He said, I was in darkness. I was afraid of death. Now, that's another big one. A lot of people are afraid of death. And if you have, remember, that was a part of your life. I remember it was mine. And I'll tell you what, it was always a great jumping point for the gospel for me. To say, you know, as a young man, I was afraid of death. And they would look at me. Yeah, I, I, yeah me too. I still am. Well, you don't have to be. Boom, open door to the gospel. So next week, I'm going to give you even more, okay? But we need to understand we're called to be reconcilers. We're ambassadors. We've been empowered. It's ours. It's your message. It's your life. It's your uh, commission. We just got to pick it up. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up this morning.